Thank you so much, Choir Church. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the New Testament, uh, to the book of James. And we're going to be in chapter 4, where uh, Brother James read our text for us a little earlier. Just a reminder, uh, next Sunday, uh, we're going to be in affirming uh, some men who are going to be serving as deacons in our church uh, starting in 2020. Uh, Rodney Shirey, uh, John Van Cleef, Mark Washington, and Whitney Woodard. I'm excited for these men. I'm so thankful for their willingness to serve you because that's what our deacons do. Our deacons serve our church. And I'm so thankful to the Lord. Uh, ask that you be in prayer for these men. Would also ask you to be in prayer, if you would, for the Stewart family, Jesse and Shara and their boys. Last night, Shara's mother, Libby, passed away. Um, and uh, we, they have not made arrangements yet. I don't know what those arrangements will be, but we just ask that you be much in prayer for Jesse and Shara and her, her family. Shara lost her dad when she was a teenager, and her mom uh, just last night. So please be in prayer for them. Also, just I think something good for all of us as a church family to remember, today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Did you know that today over 80% of the world's people live in places where there is some form of restriction or discrimination or ongoing persecutions because of their beliefs. According to the organization Christians in Crises, there are 43 million Christians that have been martyred over the last 2,000 years. Half of those martyred in the last century. More than 300 Christians die every day for one reason. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 200 million Christians face persecution every day. The ministry Open Doors estimates that the number of persecuted Christians is more than 245 million. One out of every nine professing Christians faces immediate potential and or actually they suffer beatings, torture, confinement, isolation, rape, severe persecution, imprisonment, slavery, death, other forms of discrimination every day. In Nigeria... There is a deliberate plan to destroy and take over what is a predominantly Christian community in that region. In China, the government wants Christianity to be a minor activity. And as a result, um, missionaries are, uh, that we have had have been forced to flee. Uh, we do not have access to the people group that we adopted in 2011 anymore. In Afghanistan, it is illegal for uh, an Afghani to become a Christian. It's illegal. 
Christians in Pakistan continue to risk imprisonment, the loss of home, assets, torture, rape, even death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Christians in Iraq continue to face persecution from uh, terror groups. And the list just goes on and on and on. I think it is good for us to remember the words in the second stanza of Martin Luther's A Mighty Fortress is Our God Today. Martin Luther writes these words, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Jesus is soon on his way, and he will square up and call him who he is. He is the liar. He is the father of lies. His doom is certain and Christians will remain triumphant throughout eternity and we praise God for this truth. In the meantime, we partner with our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ around the world. We partner with them. We love them. And we pray for them. Join me in prayer this morning, church. Father, we bow in your presence today to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Those who refuse to deny Jesus Christ, even in the face of intense, relentless persecution. Even in death, our brothers and sisters refuse to deny Christ. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen all who are yours. And I pray, Heavenly Father, like Stephen, so many of our brothers and sisters dealing with persecution and facing death may be able to just lift their eyes and see the risen, crowning King Savior welcoming them home. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless our brothers and sisters, protect them, and strengthen them. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your name would continue to be praised throughout the earth. We know a day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Father, until that day comes, may we be faithful even here in the midst of a changing culture in America. Oh, Father, how desperately our world needs Jesus. And how they need to see Christ followers living like Jesus before them. And Father, that's why our text today is so very important. And I pray that we would hear the word of God by the Spirit of God. That Father, we would hear it with open hearts and minds.
ready to respond to truth. And so we praise you today and we thank you for the privilege to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, why are relationships not free of disappointment? Why is it that we fight with those that we love? Why is it that in some of our homes we have spouses fighting with spouses and we have siblings fighting with siblings? Why is it that we have adult kids sometimes fighting with their grown parents? You take, for example, marriage, right? None of us who are married has lived in a marriage free of conflict and tension. None of us has been able to escape those moments of uh, irritation, those moments of impatience, or those arguments that we have had, or even those extended moments of silence. I mean, when you factor in personality differences, and gender differences, and finances, and role expectations, and parenting, and all of these things, conflict is just right around the corner. You take kids. Ask a little boy why he hit his brother, and he won't say it's because of sin in his heart. He'll say, he was aggravating me. Or as my kids used to say, he touched me. And I want to break out in song. He touched me and made me whole. If you don't stop fighting, I'm going to make you whole. All right? Ask a teenager why they came in late, and uh, they're probably not going to take responsibility and admit that it was them. They're going to talk about an accident or a highway or a water main that broke and stopped traffic, you know, or the movie at the movie theater all of a sudden started, you know, 45 minutes late. Ask a dad why he's so angry all the time, and he won't say it's because of selfishness and impatience in his heart. He might just say, well, I don't know, my kids are driving me crazy. Ask someone who is single why they may be moody and discontent. And they will never say, well, it's because of jealousy that resides in my heart. Why is it that there are families and friends, maybe even here in this room, right, that live just close together, three to five miles apart, but yet they don't speak? I mean, why do we fight with people that we love? Because the fact is, we do. When conflict emerges in our lives, as we interact with people around us, right? when something goes wrong... Typically, we are quick to point outside of ourselves for the cause of the problem. Church, if we think our biggest problem in life exists outside of us and not inside of us, we are self-deceived. What did Jesus remind us of in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Or maybe what he said later in verse 27 in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. We need to look at our text today from the same starting point. And so let's all start today at the same place as we look at what James is teaching us. And let's start here. Sin is always a heart issue before it's ever a behavior issue. Right? Sin is a heart issue before it's a behavior issue. And you see, that's why so many times what we strive to do is behavior modification. Listen, you can modify behavior all you want, but that's not the root problem. And James draws that out for us. James is reminding me today that my greatest problem in life exists inside me and not outside of me. And I wonder if you and I are adult enough to admit that and to address it and to just really ask the question, if my, if my greatest problem resides in me and not outside of me, then what do I do about that? How can I alter that? How can I change that so that I can look like Jesus? Paul Tripp, who's one of my favorite authors, he said, the evil inside me is what connects me to the evil that's outside of me. So I must confess that I am my greatest problem. My greatest need is not to be rescued from people, locations, and situations. I need grace to rescue me from me. And I can echo those words because that's the way I feel as well. James begins with one of the New Testament's most honest discussions about conflict in relationships. Right? So if we talk about conflict resolution, for example, right? If we talk about conflict and how we resolve it, this is the greatest passage of Scripture in the New Testament to guide us in how to walk through strains in relationships. Right? This is honest and direct. Our relationships are often a struggle because we all bring something into our relationships that is destructive to them. And the Bible calls it sin. And James says, it's not just sin out there. What about when it resides in here? What about when it reveals itself in a church, in relationships? Look at verse 1. James says, what, quarrels, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So he begins with a question. And by the way, the verb tense suggests that James is addressing a problem in the early church. That James is not just making this up. James is not saying, hey, in case there would ever be a problem, 
right? This is how you go about addressing it. No, James is saying something's happening right now. So we're talking about maybe less than 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus, right? And this is what's going on. Why is it that people in the same church who love the same God, whose sin has been covered by the same Savior, why is it? That people would, for lack of a better phrase, rip into one another. (laughs) The question to the church is this. What causes quarrels and fights among you? And notice what James says is the source. And by the way, this is the inspired word of God. We agree on this? Amen? All right, so these aren't my words. Don't slay the messenger. Um, What causes quarrels and fights among you? And what does James say is the source? Notice this. Is not it this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, there are two words here that you ought to circle or underline or highlight. The word passions and the word war. Right? The word passions and the word war. James says it's your passions that are causing you to fight when you gather together. He explains it, right? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel, right? You don't have because you don't ask, and you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So the root conflict, the root cause of conflicts, according to James, is our consuming passion for self-gratification. That's it. Why is it that in the church there's going to be wars among brothers and sisters in Christ? What causes that? Right? What, what causes the, the fights? What causes the little outbursts of anger? And James says, it's you. It's your passions. And here's what's an interesting thing. The Greek word for passions is where we get our English word hedonism. Right? And so just as a reminder, what is hedonism? It is the view that fulfilling your passions is the highest good for human life. Hedonism describes someone who lives for pleasure. The passion to fulfill one's desires, the cravings of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It is addictive self-love. Hedonism is me first. Now, dear ones, these are really strong words, aren't they? James says we we don't get what we want, so we murder. I don't know if he's talking about actual murder or if he's talking about murder with the tongue. But either way, it's, it's real. 
Tom Rainer, um, I came across an article this week as I was doing some research. Uh, Tom Rainer is the president of Rainer Research. You know, he was the president of Lifeway for many years. He retired in the last year or two. And um, he has gathered a bunch of research. And one article that he wrote lists uh, the top 25 reasons why churches have had wars and fights. Okay, so I, I'm not going to go through all 25, but here's just a few things. Um, number one, an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Truth matter is, I'm just jealous because I can't grow what Bob grows. All right. Um, here's one: a, a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. I mean, I'm dying to know how that was resolved. Here's one. A deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter. And so they decide they're going to settle the dispute in the parking lot. Are, are they going to drag race? I mean, what does that mean? Now, here's one. Uh, a, a church argument and vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. Now, that's a timely argument, isn't it? Here's one, a, a, a fight over which picture of Jesus is going to be put in the foyer. An even greater question to ask is, who took the picture? Right. A petition to have all staff clean-shaven. You might laugh at that, but years ago when I was in seminary, um, you know, I, I didn't, of course, I could go a month without shaving and you'd have to have magnifying glass to look and see if there's any stubble on my face. But I actually had a lady in the church come up to me and it was right before, this was back in the days of discipleship training and it was right before discipleship training and she's a sweet gal. I mean, she's like Miss Susie, right? Everybody loves Miss Susie. She's like, she reminds me of Susie Howe, but she came up to, her name was Miss Minnie and Miss Minnie comes up to me and says, Brother Derek, I love you. You go home and you shave right now. And you know what I did? I went home and shaved. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. Now, this is just me personally, but I vote for shoes, shirt, and pants. Um, a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had uh, cran apple, cran grape instead of grape juice for communion. An argument over whether the church should be allowed deviled eggs at the church meal. A disagreement over the term potluck instead of pot blessing because Christians don't believe in luck. An argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread. I'm confused about that. I thought gluttony was a sin. An argument over whether the fake dusty plants should be removed from in front of the podium. One member suggested, just give them some water, they'll come back to life. These are silly examples that just do one thing. They prove James's point, dear ones. Sin is a heart issue before it's a behavior issue. All right. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're probably old enough that you have seen what happens when a local 
church gets bent out of shape. I've seen it. I've personally experienced it. You probably have as well. And you know, we don't have to have a gun in our hands to murder someone. We can just slaughter them with our tongues. James says all the conflict comes from desires within us. Desires that are motivated by a longing for earthly pleasure. And so when you get to verses 4 and 5, he tells us what the end result is. And it is spiritual adultery. Right, So the Bible is clear that in God's relationship with us, it's, it's like a marriage. And so when we forsake Him in sin, it is a picture of unfaithfulness. It's a picture of, of adultery. And we could go to the Old Testament, for example. We, we could go to Jeremiah 3.20. As a woman may betray her lover, so you have betrayed me, O house of Israel, God says. Right? Or, or we're familiar with Ephesians 5. Right? That husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So James's point is that the more we are conformed to the pattern of this world, the more we betray God. The more we cheat on God. And God's jealousy is the longing for the Holy Spirit that He has given us to live in us in such a way that all we desire to do is passionately pursue Him. So, what's the solution to that? Right? What is the solution to honestly and openly addressing the passions that can produce war in God's people. Well, here it is, and it's in verses 7 through 12. And I, I want to read this because it's important for us to get it. Submit yourselves, therefore, to the Lord. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Right? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Here we have the solution to everything that ails you when it comes to conflicts that reside within. Here it is. Here, let me give you the ten steps. You can write these down if you want to. But here's the ten steps to everything that ails you. Step number one, submit yourselves to God. I'm going to break these down in four simple steps in a moment. but Just right here in the text you can see it laid out. Step one, submit yourselves to God. Step two, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Step three, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Step four, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Step five, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Step six, be wretched and mourn. Step seven, weep. Step eight, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
Step nine, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Step ten, don't speak evil against one another. I mean, it's, it's that simple. And yet it's that hard, isn't it? These are not difficult words to understand. This is not a hard passage. When someone is thinking about those hard passages of Scripture that we just can't maybe seem to put our finger on exactly what it means, this is never referred to as one of those texts. This is very, very simple. Let me give it to you in four easy steps. Step one, get right with God. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit is a verb, and it has a sense of urgency around it. It's actually a compound word, and it literally means to be under someone else's rank. All right, so we have a military picture when we see that. We have a picture of an individual who falls into line, who falls into rank. So what does it mean to submit yourself to God? It means you take God as your captain. So James says you're out of step. And the solution is get right with God. Step two is to get tough with Satan. He says resist the devil and he will flee from you. The word resist means to take a stand against the enemy. And by the way, there's no middle ground there when it talks about taking a stand. You cannot play with him. You cannot flirt with him. You have to get tough. You say, well, pastor, how do you do that? Ephesians 6, you put on your armor. Right? You put on the whole armor of God so that you can resist the devil. And if you resist, what will he do? What will he do? He'll flee. Step three, get close to God. So he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this is what God wants us to know today. This is God saying to you, I love you. I'm for you. This is God saying, I love the church. I am for the church. He loves us. He's for us. He cares about us. Isn't it what the Bible teaches us? John 10.10, a thief comes to steal, destroy, and kill. But I have come, Jesus said, that you would have life and that you would have it abundantly. That you would have it in fullest measure. When you see this image, I want to encourage you to think about the image of the father of the prodigal son. Picture God wanting to run and meet you. 
me say this to some of us today. I don't know everybody here this morning. Some are believers. Some may not be. But let me just say this. Some of you may be so overwhelmed right now in your heart and in your spirit. Just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with guilt. Overwhelmed with baggage. Just from years where you've felt like, you know, you've let him down. So much junk. And sometimes if we're not careful, you know what that baggage does to us? That baggage has a way of whispering into our mind and telling us that we are not worthy of the Father's love. I rejoice that our God is a God of grace. And I am so thankful that He is a God of grace. And I rejoice that I know every time I have messed up and when the Holy Spirit of God grips my heart and shows me that I've messed up and I turn that to the Lord, man, He is so quick to forgive and cleanse and remove that guilt and that baggage. And dear ones, please hear me today. Don't carry that stuff with you anymore. Don't carry that through life. It will cripple you. Lay it down today. Give it to the Lord. Get close to God. And He'll get close to you. Number four, get right with others. The Bible says cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Right? So the cleansing of our hands, that's the outward Purify your hearts, that's inward. He says to mourn and weep. You know what that means? Some of us here today may right now have an image of an individual in our mind that we know we've wronged. Something we've said, something we've done. And what should we do? cleanse our hands. We should get up and go make it right. You have my permission today if that's the case. If they're not in your Bible study class, go to another Bible study class and find them. Or better yet, get in your car and drive to their house and make it right. If you have bitterness in your heart, if you have resentment in your heart, purify it today. Purge it. Just say, God, I'm sorry. So if you need to apologize, go apologize. If you need to say, I'm going to get right with God, get right with God. If you need to say, I'm going to get right with others, get right with others. And notice he, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Why should we do that? That He may exalt you. God will lift you up. When I humble myself before God and just say, God, I'm sorry forgive me and cleanse me, what will God do? He'll restore me. That's what it means. He'll exalt you. He'll pick you up. 
He'll wrap His arms of love and grace and mercy around you. And He will proclaim you throughout the city as one of His trophies of grace. Isn't that great? That's what He does. So, let me close. What do you need to change this morning? What are you struggling with? What are you holding on to that you need to repent of? When you go to Bible study today, maybe teachers, ask your class. How are we, as a result of what we've learned in James 4, going to pursue God better? How are we going to better pursue God as a result of what James has taught us today? Ask yourselves as a class, how will we humble ourselves before the Lord? Let me pause with something that's right smack in the middle of the text. And we're going to end with it. Look at verse 6. Because this verse changes everything. But he gives more grace. And therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Right? What does God do? God gives greater grace to the humble. So let's humble ourselves this morning. Let's bow our heads. And let's close our eyes. And humble ourselves before the Lord. And let me speak, if I could, to two groups. So maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're not a Christ follower, but you're exploring. Let me encourage you today to give in to God, to humble yourself, and to surrender your life to Him. Just cry out to Him now and say, God, I submit my life to Jesus Christ. And from this day forward, Jesus will be the commanding officer of my life. From now on, Jesus will tell me what to do. Make that your commitment to Christ today. And to believers, never forget that there is grace for every hurtful moment. There is grace for every time you sin. And there is grace for every time you are sinned against. And the grace that God gives for every relationship, hallelujah, it never runs out. God gives more grace. And so what relationships do you have that need more grace today?